Reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kevin. <clears throat> so it was a Friday night in late January and the pastor came home late after another meeting and ran to grab the phone that was ringing before it woke the whole house. A voice sneered from the other end of the line, leave town immediately if you don't wish to die. There are also some other choice words that I am not going to repeat. This sort of call was becoming a little more familiar its intent much more pointed and threatening. Throughout his career, he'd known what a disgruntled parishioner sounds like. He knew when threats were thin and empty and only related to the nerve he'd tweaked in a recent sermon, the hornet's nest of sin that his words had disturbed or the usual quibbles among a people who were no people, but were learning to become a community, God's family. But this wasn't that. He put on a pot of coffee. It was going to be a long night. And Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. remembered this moment in his book, Stride Towards Freedom. He says of that night, and I'll, I'll quote a little of an extended quote. He says, I was ready to give up with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In, his state of, in this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid the people are looking for, to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear a voice of quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth and God will be at your side forever. At Almost at once, my fears began to go and my uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. This is called the 
kitchen table epiphany, famously. Three days after this moment, the same home was bombed in Montgomery and King's family narrowly escaped. He recounted that given his experience of clarity and calling a few nights earlier in this now demolished kitchen table, he now had the strength to deal with this and the coming threats on his family and his life. Years later, he remembered all of this saying, it seemed at that moment I could hear an inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. So we continue today in Mark's gospel. And it's often against our wills and our instincts to remember the sorts of people that the Bible is written to and written among. It's against our instincts to remember that plenty of people in the Bible are arrested and our passage today reminds us that. It says when John was arrested, <laughs> even Jesus's cousin, even Jesus himself was arrested. This doesn't dampen the mission. Jesus picks up the torch and carries on moving through particular towns and villages proclaiming the gospel. Jesus's gospel is good news that change is coming. God is near. The kingdom of this world's days are numbered, so don't get used to it and start to imagine a break in the way things are. Become a part of it. All things are being made new right in the midst of the old, even you and I. This is the message. This is the weird and worth everything you got message. Sell everything you have and buy this treasure in a field. Let those with ears hear. This is the good news that Jesus is bringing in Mark's gospel. As Jesus passes along the side of a lake, he sees some fishermen, not exactly the most couth lot of all of Galilee. These are guys who like work hard and party harder. I, these are the, the guys that I went to high school with in Daytona Beach, Florida. Like I can see some of these faces, you know, the sorts of guys who probably didn't finish high school and it really didn't matter that much to anyone or their job prospects. Like I was never much of a fisherman, though on the occasions that I've tried, I would describe myself as, as good at fishing, but not very good at catching. Like that's the extent of my fishing. But even I know that there aren't many PhDs hanging around your run-of-the-mill bait shops. This is a rough bunch that Jesus encounters and calls. It's here at the seashore that a pair of brothers, Simon and Andrew, and then later James and John, are seen by Jesus while casting their nets into the sea. And they receive their epiphany, a new vocation. Any resistance movement worth its salt needs some followers and some helpers for the mission. So Jesus seems to encounter the saltiest potential disciples possible and invites them with a simple pitch. Come follow me. It's so hard to bust through when I hear come follow me, like all of the ways we've domesticated that radical call. 
like come follow me is written in script on coffee mugs and on Instagram memes. It sounds like some sort of meek internet invitation that you can click interested just so you don't offend the host. And then maybe later you can say that I'm going if something else falls through. But one pastor puts it this way. The gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. And so the king, the humble king is marching through Galilee, calling people to follow. Even on a level that, of following that requires a little more than us. I'm thinking about like an apprenticeship or grad school, the sorts of following that, um, that, that, means that you have to really pitch in with your life and your resources. It's still a little bit difficult for us to realize the context of Jesus's calling. Rabbis are the ones who choose their their pupils. Like you don't apply to become a a student or an apprentice. You don't apply to study with Rabbi Ben Zakai. He chooses you. I'm starting to hear what would become the Apostle Paul's logic in Romans 8? He says, those he predestined or chose, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. All of this is being played out in real time. There's a, a, a choosing and a calling and an equipping uh, for this call. So often when we talk about calling and vocation, well, I'll speak for myself. When I think about calling or vocation, I want to jump quickly to the how and the what of that calling. What is my job going to be? What does the job description look like? How am I going to make enough money to sustain all of the other good things that I'm responsible to and called for? This often can feel like some sort of puzzle that someone else has the front of the box and there are a few pieces missing. It's so hard to figure out our vocations. If that's where you're at today, I hope there's some room for you today to have this same sort of strange epiphany meeting where you realize that before all of the details work themselves out, you exactly, you are chosen in and by Jesus and issued the call, come follow me. That's what Jesus is saying then. And that's what Jesus is saying this morning. Come follow me. I'm not. So this is a a little bit of an experimental line of thought. So bear with me here. I'm not sure that you can learn everything about vocation and calling from kids. um, But I think we can learn a few things. So try to remember back to when you were a kid or Uh, remember back to observations that you've had of the kids either in your house or around you in your life. And uh, so my hypothesis here is that kids aren't locked up by these vocational concerns. Like on any given day, if you want to be an astronaut or a cowboy or a professional baseball player, or even something as outlandish and difficult as being a teacher, No kid that I've ever been or observed considers the sort of schooling or job prospects or viability of carrying student loan before jumping into the role. They just try it on. They get dressed for the part, right? This is, of course, not a complete picture of how we're to grasp vocation, but it's an important insight, I think. 
before we are called, we don't have like we don't have everything or know everything we need for the job. Before we're called, we don't have it all. We don't know what we're doing. We're in process. And what's more, the the <clears throat> the job is only a small fraction of what it means to embrace a vocation. What we're doing is a minor thing. Instead, you hear a call and then you start to become a person who does that thing. When, when you get dressed up as a cowboy, you have zero cowboy skills, but darn it, you look like a cowboy, right? A cowgirl also. Um, this is the case, I know this is tricky with artists and songwriters. Um, uh, people, creative types who I know who do these things, but feel really uncomfortable calling themselves artists or calling themselves a songwriter. There's maybe some, some baked in pressure or maybe they feel pretentious referring to themselves that way. I think of um, uh, Jeff Tweedy, who is the, the founder and the leader of Wilco, uh, recently wrote a book called How to Write One Song. And he talked about this for himself. Uh, he says, long before I wrote my first song, I thought of myself as a songwriter. I would say to people, guess what? I'm a songwriter, not I might like to try my hand at songwriting someday. Turns out the reason I started writing songs is because I happen to be a songwriter. You see, uh, his playful logic here is you just embrace this calling and then you grow into it. Uh, Will Willimon talks about vocation um, maybe in a somewhat similar way as, as he says, vocation is not evoked by your bundle of needs or desire, but vocation is what God wants from you and whereby your life is transformed into a consequence of God's redemption of the world. <laughs> vocation is what God wants from you, whereby your life is transformed. So you become what you're called to be. It only later makes sense that you become the type of person who is comfortable at zero gravity or on horseback or uh, pretty good at sizing up a 3-2 slider or unlocking the mysteries of third grade long division for other people, right? You become these realities. Sometimes vocation requires you to hear a voice and to dress the part before you can even conceive of how any of it all could be true. And sometimes Jesus even makes it a little easier on us and calls us to something we can begin to imagine. Fishing for people, because we are already sort of good at fishing for fish. And so I think a little bit of this is what's going on at that Galilee seashore. Jesus calling these disciples to be something they had no idea what to be or how to be it. And they stepped into that calling. Jesus is conscripting Andrew and Simon and then the Zebedee boys, James and John, into this mission and this new identity as fishers of humanity. And when he's doing it, I love it uh, in the Bible, images like fishers of men, um, again, we domesticate that. We think we know what that means. It looks great on a t-shirt. Um, but oftentimes these big images mean more than one thing at the same time, right? 
And, and so Jesus is tapping into this image and it is something way more brutal and strange and severe probably than they had any idea that Jesus was calling them into. Now they're joining God in this work of repentance and judgment. They're clashing headlong against all of the unjust phony gods and lesser newses that are running amok around them. You see the fish hook pops up periodically in prophetic announcements in scripture as a symbol and a tool of judgment. Here's a few uh, places where that happens. Like in uh, Jeremiah 16, it says, I'll send for my fishermen, declares the Lord, and I'll catch them. <laughs> I'll send for hunters and they'll hunt them in every little crevice in the mountain. My eyes are on their ways and not hidden from me. So the same God that sees and calls is the same God who sees and judges for uh, injustice, for wickedness, for sin, for defiling the land, for worshiping images instead of the living God and idols instead of the true God. Uh, another place for this Fisher image pops up is in Amos 4. It says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, you women who oppress the poor, crush the needy and say, bring us some more drinks. The time will come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. So you see, fishers of men, fishers of humanity is, is a pretty serious work. It's not... Uh, a, a cute thing to be called to. Heck, the the last exhibit, uh, I, I won't put up a scripture, but I'm, I am doing a godly play, recording a godly play lesson for this is the entire book of Jonah. In Jonah, we see that when we're reticent to come and follow or disobedient to our call, sometimes we get swallowed up by the very thing we're hoping to avoid or to master. The giant fish in Jonah is 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 deep in this echo of fish hooks and fishermen in, in scripture. But many of us are really tripped up by some of these vocational concerns. What we're supposed to do and be in the world and trying to exactly figure out to what and to where Jesus is calling in some sense is true that this is important stuff and we really want to get it right. But in another sense, it's the simplest call in the world. It boils down to first the fact that Jesus sees you and knows you and calls you from exactly where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to learn anything to opt into this calling. Jesus picks you, even you, before you even ever thought to opt in. That's the, the most basic baseline thing about vocation and Jesus's calling is that Jesus sees you, knows you, and calls you. Uh, in some sense, answering a call is, is always an act of faith because it's, it's, predicated on the fact that God knows you and knows who you are and who you should be better than even you know yourself and so that you're going to trust in God's judgment over even your own. Another thing that is key to vocation is that vocation has a really strange math. Vocation calls you to be more than you are using exactly who you are. 
cause you to be more than you are using exactly who you are. These fishers of humans were humans who happened to be fishers. It's exactly how their previous, it's interesting exactly how their previous experiences and jobs and training were, were transfigured and also reconfigured in light of what happened when Jesus got his hooks into them. There is, <laughs> if, if you then go on in Mark's gospel and even after this scene in the other gospels, you'll notice that there's significantly less actual fishing, fishing happening in these people's lives. We'll have scenes where Jesus makes an illustration on a boat and casts your nets into the deep water and um, Jesus uh, fishes and, and, you know, catches a fish and grabs a, a coin out of a fish's mouth. So there's, there is some fishing, but I'd imagine if these were vocational fishers, they would be fishing all day, every day. This new uh, reality that Jesus calls them into, there is significantly less fishing happening but Jesus is with them. Jesus is guiding them. Jesus is challenging them. Jesus is shifting their understanding of their work and their vocation and what they spend their time on and what they spend their mental energy on and their attention on. Jesus is forming them into the types of people they would have never thought to have been on their own. So to answer a call of Jesus is to allow Jesus to form you into the type of person you never would have thought to have been on your own. And uh, lastly, as, as we finish up, these stories, whether the kitchen table where Martin Luther King Jr. got his vocational epiphany or at the seashore, they remind us that Jesus is calling to us is serious stuff. To repent and to believe the good news is to be brought onto the front lines of justice. It's, it's to be brought into the front lines in this battle against the powers and principalities of our time, the, ba the battle of the powers and principalities that run right through each and every one of us. Martin himself reminds us about Jesus. No one was ever crucified for telling people that God loved them, yet Christ was crucified. So we realize this good news that Jesus is proclaiming, this good news that Jesus is calling us to join in is potent and radical stuff. To be called by Jesus means to walk with Jesus and to become like Jesus. This is incredibly fulfilling, but only in the sense that it also means that we are being emptied by this call. Like Philippians 2 tells this master story of Jesus being emptied to be filled. The Galilean fishermen leave their nets and they also leave whatever existing financial security they had to follow Jesus's inv invitation to join Jesus in his struggle to overturn an existing order of power and privilege. This is a radical call. Sure, this is like a kinder, gentler radicalism than much of what was on offer at the time. There were some zealots wreaking havoc around uh, first century Palestine. 
maybe this is even a kinder, gentler radicalism than much of the radicalism that we see in our world today of all sorts of ideological and nationalistic stripes. But make no mistake, Jesus is not calling them, he's not calling us to a life of comfort or equivocation or moderation. These men were radicalized at that seashore. To be called by Jesus is weird and scary and true and beautiful and radical. Enjoy the ride. Perhaps that's what makes this call so extraordinary. Not that it takes us out of our ordinary. Not that it pumps us up with excitement or gives us some new vocation that we don't already know how to begin to do, but that it is like extraordinary, like break, the, break that into two words and put a hyphen in the middle. Extraordinary in that it's extraordinary. Jesus's call crawls inside of what we already are and what we are already doing and who we're becoming to call us to and to create new vocations towards intimacy in humanity. Jesus is making us more human, more able to be intimate, with creation that is being renewed. Instead of only fishing for fish, making a good and honest living, now these men fish for people, like for people. Connect that message that has brought you into God's family, a message of repentance and justice making, and make that your mission right where you are, for people. Make that your mission with the people you're already around and go with Jesus where he sends you because like he promised Martin, he promises to all of us, he'll never leave us alone, even to the end of the age. Will y'all pray with me? Lord Jesus, bless our ears that we might hear well, that we might hear this radical call and remind us again that radical doesn't just mean intense. It means it brings us back to the root of things, the radix, the very beginning, what you have in mind for us in this world. Lord, give us courage to answer that call when you say, come follow me. And, and Lord, um, grant that uh, we can hear better when we're close to you. You see us, you know us, you choose us. You call us and you walk close to us. Help us walk close to you and listen well. Uh, Thanks for the examples of faithful people who answer your call. Famous ones and ones who we know and see. So that we can see and, and have witnesses that this call is real and it still goes out in this world. And it is potent and it is part of your kingdom that is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for all these uh, friends who are um, learning how to listen to this call and learning how to answer it. Uh, Thanks for the ways that your spirit inspires um, through them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.